Welcome to the Striving Together podcast, a podcast for the Imago Dei Church family to help us follow Jesus together in the grace of His gospel. My name is Shane Shaddix, and I have the privilege of serving as the discipleship pastor. And I am joined today by Tyler Burton, who serves here at IDC as the local missions uh, coordinator. Tyler, thanks for taking the time to come and record with me. What's going on, brother? It's good to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, it's great to, great to have you. Uh, we are uh, kicking off uh, a, um, a series. We're going to do a couple of uh, episodes. On, on a singular topic, and uh, this is something that's been on your heart and mine for uh, a little bit. Uh, let's just uh, start with uh, the, the local commission coordinator. What exactly do you do uh, in that role here at IDC? Um, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, That's uh, the rest of us, too. Right? Yeah. Uh, just kind of figuring it out as we go along. Um, essentially, my role is to help IDC uh, as we accomplish God's work in the world here in RDU. Okay. Uh, and a lot of that is with ministry partners. Yeah. So working with our Mercy Ministry partners, building relationships, things like that. But one unique emphasis we're wanting to do this next year is really emphasize how do we as IDC become uh, active within the community, both Mercy Ministry-wise yeah. and also evangelistically. That's good. Um, so I'm thinking a lot about where are we? Mm-hmm. How do we live? How cool. do we think? How do the people around us think? Yeah. And then how do we take this beautiful gospel and put it into the hearts and minds of the people? That's good. Excellent. Excellent. And you've been a member of IDC for how long? It'll be six years in January, okay. six which years. is freaky. Yeah, yeah. 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 It feels like it's flown by. It really uh, has. And you're married? I am. Who's your wife? Her name is Maggie Burton. Okay. And how long have uh, you guys been married? We've been married three years this past Tuesday. Okay. So, so you guys met, was he here at IDC or something else in the community? We were set up okay. uh, on a blind date by a former pastor at IDC. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. it worked out really well. Uh, matchmaking still works. <laughs> uh, we are the proof of that. So okay. yeah, there it was you fantastic. Go. That's we were, great. We were met and married in eight months, man. It was oh, awesome. Man. Not playing around. Not good, playing around. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Good for it was you great, guys. Man. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, okay, so you were talking about uh, even thinking through how to help the IDC family engage our context, think about our context, understand it. And that really kind of uh, launches us into what we want to talk about in this episode and in the coming episodes, thinking about following Jesus in a post-Christian context. So how do we follow Jesus in a place that uh, is uh, could, could accurately be described as post-Christian? And let's just start there. Uh, using that language, that's obviously not a Bible term. That's more of a, almost like a sociological term of sorts. Uh, What do you mean by post-Christian context? Yeah, it's good that you asked, like, what do you mean by it? Because when you ask someone what post-Christian means, you're largely going to hear a different answer depending Mm -hmm. on who's talking. Um, And especially depending on the resource you're reading, the article you're in, podcast, whatever. Um, So post-Christian usually means one of two things, depending on who's saying it. Um, You're either meaning it in a historical sense. There is a pre-Christian age, a Christian age, what's called Christendom, and then a post-Christian age. Um, People would say that if they're talking about post-Christian now, they would say since the Enlightenment, we are in a post-Christian age. Um, historians talk about it that way. There's a place to talk about right. things that way. Like this historical development. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, but most of the time when people are saying post-Christian, and specifically if we're talking about Raleigh, we're, we're thinking through the presuppositions okay. and assumptions of a person's worldview. Okay. Uh, and that that worldview is a an intentionally bifurcated worldview separated from the Christian worldview. Okay. So that formerly somebody's uh, grandparents, somebody's great grandparents, their predominant assumptions would have had um, Christian virtues, uh, even primary Christian doctrines as the center of how they saw their life. Just like an assumption built into their, their world. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they didn't attend church, um, the, the, um, 
the base assumption of how someone understood their life, world, everything around them had the gospel connected to it in some way or another. Okay. Um, but largely, probably over the last hundred years, what's happened in the U.S. predominantly is we've shifted from a primary Christian worldview as the base uh, to most cities in the U.S. and predominantly most uh, urban cities uh, occupying what's called a post-Christian worldview. Okay. Um, and that post-Christian worldview is moving on from the Christian assumptions, so moving beyond it, okay. and then entering into a new set of assumptions, okay. um, which primarily are two things. Uh, they're secular. Okay. And pluralist. Uh, so secular is that it's intentionally not religious. Okay. Um, so when we t- hear things about being secular, secular is actually an idea from Augustine. Okay. So it's not a bad word in right, and of right, itself, right. but it just means not sacred. Okay. Um, so a secular worldview is materialist. Okay. Uh, this life is all there is. The physical thing is all there is. It's inherent from the Darwinian perspective. Right. Uh, materialist. We only have right. what we have. Right. Um, it's also sexual. It's a result of the sexual revolution. Okay. So sex is the self. There's a link there between that um it's also intentionally humanist okay in that the center of a person's worldview is not anything beyond the person right it's very earthy it's very yeah uh bound to just kind of like what we can see we can feel and and the the persons and people that we interact with that kind of thing as opposed and that that would be over and against kind of spiritual things basically yeah Yeah, Yeah. like some kind of transcendence deity or whatnot like that yeah and humanism even goes to morality Right. So even in a materialist worldview, you would have a humanist morality where the center of morality is no longer a theistic position. Okay. Uh, it's that humans are the center right, of right, what right. morality is. Okay. So these things occupy what is called a kind of a central secular okay. worldview framework. So most post-Christian cities, peoples, their dominant religion is going to be, whether they admit it or not, uh, a secular, Some kind of secular worldview, yeah, okay. secular uh, religion. Okay. And that was the first thing you said. There, there were two things. What was the other one? Yeah, pluralist. Pluralism. So okay. pluralist is the uh, the kind of culture a secular culture creates. Okay. Uh, it creates an environment where you have more people around you who are intentionally thinking different things, and you're wanting to cultivate an atmosphere of people creating different things and talking about different things. But even in that, there is a an assumption in a pluralist worldview that. We have people who are Buddhists here and Muslims here and Christians here, and that's a good thing. But we see all of those things as equally able to be criticized. Okay. Right? So they all kind of sit on a level playing field. Okay. And then in a pluralist context, specifically in the West, what happens is the secular worldview actually rises above those pluralistic worldviews, critiques them, and pulls from it what they want. Okay. Uh, huh. So it kind of gets to kind of a, what's been called the buffet religion okay. before. So pluralist society, you have all these different people of all these different faiths, but we're really only going to like the things okay. that are most consistent with a secular worldview. Okay. Um, so that's kind of, no, no, a that's lot good. There, but... you kind of threw me, you threw me a little bit because I was thinking you were going to say equally that they were all like equally valid. And in some sense, maybe that's that you're saying that's true, but you're actually saying there's something that does actually stand over and against those things yeah. and, and stand in judgment. And you're saying that's kind of that secular, secular mindset of, yeah. uh, of the, the, the more real thing is the, kind of physical, tangible, visible, and the, the spiritual things are just kind of relegated to the sideline, if not, you know, maybe cherry-picked and, and kind of subsumed in that, right? Yeah. Is that... No, you're on the money. Okay. And so when we're thinking about post-Christian then, yeah. what we have then is a dominant cultural assumption that is intentionally removing itself from the Christian worldview and also, by necessity sometimes, okay. uh, 
pulling back to it, referring back to it. Okay. Uh, Flannery O'Connor talks about the post-Christian world as not Christ-centered, but Christ-haunted. Okay. Right? Huh. So a great example of this is the Me Too movement. Okay. So we in the Christian worldview would say that the abuse and like raping of women is horrible, is egregious, is against God, right? So would the modern secularists. They would look at these situations and hate them and think mm. they're abhorrent and think there needs to be action against them. We would agree with that. Okay. What's also fascinating is the very same people who are advocating for and acting in the Me Too movement also advocate for sexual license, license, licenseness, license, license, license. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they are pulling for and creating an intentionally non-Christian worldview when it comes to sexual ethics. That is creating mm. the very environment in which they're saying something abhorrent is happening. Sure, sure, sure. So in order to criticize the thing <laughs> that is horrible, they have to they rely from on the Christian worldview. I gotcha. They have to pull back to mm -hmm. what they have already separated themselves from. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, does no, that that's make good. sense No, that's there? helpful. Yeah. I want to I bring it down. So, um, you know, we're talking about how to engage Raleigh, and we're starting with this kind of thinking about following Jesus in a post-Christian context. In what sense is it fair to characterize Raleigh so we're a, we're an urban uh, context or you know you know suburban city or whatever yeah. but we're in the south right. which people historically think is you know christianized at least or kind of culturally christian is it fair to describe Raleigh in particular or the RDU area as as post christian if so like where would people see this or run into it kind of in their daily lives yeah i, I think so and okay. i think increasingly so okay so it's not like on it's not a light switch that's on or off yep. it's more like a slider where it's like increasingly gro going in that direction you're on the money okay yeah. um uh, the primary ways that you see that are when you are interacting with unbelievers in your work, okay. in your life, everything else, and you, you begin to ask spiritual questions and ask them why they believe what they believe. You will ordinarily in Raleigh hear stories along the lines of, I used to have some sort of association with the church okay. or my parents had some so association with the church. We no longer do because of X, Y, Z. I now hold to this. Okay. And what they're going to hold to is going to be some combination of a secular worldview, usually with some sort of Eastern spiritualization coming in. Okay. We can get to that later. Kind of like haunted by a version of spirituality, but certainly not bound to kind of historic Christian orthodoxy or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you're going to hear it. And I would venture more often than not, that is going to be the story of the person who doesn't follow Jesus in Raleigh that you interact with okay. as a secular person. Okay. Um, so that there's a number of reasons for that. Okay. Um, Raleigh in the South Bible Belt, but also is a tech hub. So, I mean, RTP, we have influences people from all over the world. Over, uh -huh. But also, I mean, since COVID, especially people from California, New York, Texas, all coming to Raleigh to yeah. live. So these people who are further down the sliding scale, if you will, mm -hmm. coming here and uh, bringing their assumptions with yeah. them and living in that space with them. That's so um, I think those are reasons. Yeah. I think also social media, I mean, okay. moves ideas very quickly. Um, we're seeing that societies in the world that are normally incredibly conservative are becoming, and I mean, I don't mean conservative politically, I mean, ideologically, right, right, right. are becoming increasingly traditionalist, traditionalist yeah, yeah, are becoming increasingly secular faster mm -hmm. because of the advent of social media. Okay. Um, and so that has an effect on us just as much as everything yeah. else. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So um, if, we're in a context that's increasingly uh, post-Christian and, and, and some follow-ups. What we're going to talk about is maybe a little bit more kind of the nitty-gritty of like how we can engage, yeah. I think, our neighbors, friends, relatives, or coworkers with the gospel who are coming from a kind of a, this post-Christian context or, or mindset. And well, let's just maybe zoom out one one layer from there and just think of like what what opportunities does 
uh, being the church in a context that is increasingly post-Christian, what, what opportunities does this give us uh, as the people of God, you know, swimming in these waters? There are so many. Yeah. Um, and I think the the initial reaction to hearing the things I just described might be apprehension okay. or fear or just a whole yeah. host of things, right? Because people are just looking at you like you're you're a dinosaur almost, or people their oh. their assumptions are like you're either uh, you know a simpleton oh, well, or yeah. a dinosaur or a dummy. You know, yep. <laughs> like, you believe in Zeus and the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. that kind of okay, situation. Cool. Um, but the opportunities are really remarkable. Okay. One of them is that we quite literally get to live out being the aroma of Christ. So okay. Paul in First Corinthians talks about how we are like the aroma of Christ in his glorious procession so that as people encounter us, we are either like fragrant unto mm-hmm. life or fragrance unto death. Yeah. Um, there is a sense in which ordinary, regular following of Jesus in a post-Christian world is incredibly attractive Hmm. uh, because the weirdness that comes from living like Jesus in the post-Christian world is what everyone in the post-Christian world wants. They want to have people around authenticity. Oh my goodness. Integrity, honesty, people who care, people who care about them, relationship, community. These are the kinds of people who follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. who have those things as part of who they are. When someone who's in that worldview encounters someone who really cares about them, does what they say, uh-huh. and also upholds people who are broken, there's something attractive okay. there. So um, I think just regular following Jesus, loving unbelievers yeah. in your life, that's a huge opportunity because people will see just how weird you yeah. are and just how different you are yeah. and will be drawn to yeah. it because of who Jesus is. Yeah, that's um, good. That's one of my first thoughts. No, yeah. that's good. Yeah, and it, I, I think... It, I like the way that we're even framing this and thinking about we're, we're following Jesus in this context uh, because uh, it seems to me, and you can you're, you're you're more knowledgeable about these things than I am, but it seems to me that one of the things that people are reacting against uh, are, is or are um, old structures and systems. A lot, you know, a lot of times thrown into the bucket of kind of like organized religion, but it's not just the the fact that it's organized as it's organized and it's often been an agent of kind of oppression and evil in various forms or whatever. And so it's almost like if, you know, if you say, let me sell you this system, that's not necessarily going to, going to be anything that, that people want to necessarily into. But if you can live out uh, an interaction and a following of a, of a risen Lord, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I've been changed by an encounter with Christ. And that is like truly and authentically reformed my life. Uh, that's something that someone has to reckon with and doesn't quite have the barriers of here's this institutional kind of baggage that, uh, will, will maybe trip people up despite the fact that we obviously believe in the church and we think the church is God's plan and all that, all that, but we, we engage our neighbors, uh, and our friends as, as those transformed, as people yeah. who've had an encounter with Christ. And that immediately puts some kind of claim on them that they have to reckon with of like, hey, Jesus is alive and he's changing people. And yep. like, you got you to gotta reckon with that. In yep. some way. Is, that is that fair? Oh, you're on the money. Uh, Francis Schaeffer says the greatest apologetic is a changed life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and following Jesus inevitably creates a That's changed good. life. Um, yeah, we, uh, we in our house have a, a garbage can that is kind of a rollout garbage can. Uh-huh. Uh, and we... I, I say I because my wife notices it before I do. Um, I notice when it's time to take out the trash, if I pass that drawer and I just get a little sniff and I'm like, I got to take care of something here. Uh There's something that happens Uh here. Um, This is just the greatest encouragement, I think. 
you as a Christian smell weird <laughs> in a post-Christian world. And I mean like how you act, who you are, the fact that you don't curse, you treat things a little bit differently, you hold things as sacred and you there's a weirdness there and there's a drawing that happens to that because that's so unusual. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, um, so some unique opportunities for us as followers of Christ, as, as his people, his church, his bride, his body being in a context that is, um, it, in, in many ways moved on from the stuff that, that we hold, hold dear and, yeah. and we're convinced by, um, but is also like, like Chuck haunted and, and in many ways attracted to, uh, a life that is changed by Christ. Yeah. What are going to be some of the challenges, they might be self-evident, so maybe we don't need to spend a lot of time, but what are some of the challenges that being the church in a context that's post-Christian we're going to face? And then kind of of with that, uh, what are some poor ways that we can respond to those challenges, yeah, right? So recognizing good. this is not we're not an easy context to, to try to live and minister in, uh, or it can be difficult at least, um, we have it within us to respond poorly at times. Right. So w- w- challenges and then bad responses, what would you, what comes to mind? Yeah. So I think the first challenge I would say is not so much a challenge in evangelism as it more so is just a challenge of following Jesus in this post-Christian world. Um, our discipleship to him in this post-Christian world. Uh-huh. Uh, one of my favorite analogies is a, a fish doesn't know what's wet. Like if you have two fish that talk to each other, right. one says, how's the water today? As fish do. Yeah. The one says, what's water? Yeah. Right. Like that's us with culture. So we exist in a culture, we exist in a setting and mm-hmm. we inevitably wait. Maybe we don't even recognize it. Um, have post-Christian assumptions. Even if we follow sure. Jesus, we might have assumptions about what it That's means good. to follow Jesus faithfully that are actually anti-gospel and anti-Bible. Mm. Um, and it's the grace of the Lord Jesus to save us from that, uh, bring us to himself, and then use his word and his church to sanctify yeah. us in those things. So I think one thing is just for our own discipleship is an honest assessment of what we think life is, yeah. right? Seeing ourselves, uh, Paul talks about in the uh, end of Second Corinthians, actually, I think in the end of First Corinthians, of examining yourselves. Okay. Ha- have a healthy examination of your reasons you think you exist. Okay. Are they Christian or are they post-Christian? Okay. So I think that's one thing. That's good. Um, I think existing in the world now in it, um, you have to realize that you are weird. Okay. You're strange, <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, most of the time, the people who recognize this the best are people who came to Christ later in life. Okay. Um, so people, like this guy, a disciple who came to Christ at 20, he recognizes it. Other folks I know who came to Christ like later in their 30s, 40s, 50s, sure. they are more comfortable with that because okay. they lived a life pre-Jesus. They moved from one thing to another. Yeah. yeah. And they recognize they're weird. Yeah. Um, but now kind of like all of us are that's weird. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a sense in which you have to realize that that's the case. Mm-hmm. You also have to see that in some circumstances, to some people, you are not just weird, you're the problem. Mm. And that can be really hard. Um, I've had many a conversation where I've been called many a thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had people say really mean things. Right. Um, the reason for that is they have rejected the same God I would also reject. Okay. They have rejected a false God, right, right, a right. false Jesus, and a church that isn't good or true. Mm. Um, but what happens is they see me, see us, hear us talk about Jesus and the gospel, mm-hmm. and they equate the two. Yeah, yeah. And so when they're hearing you talk, they don't hear you as a person who genuinely knows the risen Lord mm-hmm. and wants them to come in relationship with him. They see you according to their church hurt, 
They see you according to a political party. Right, right. They see you according to that person who said that thing. Mm-hmm. And so you have to recognize that as you go in. And what that's inevitably going to do in us is bring up fear of man sure. in our hearts. That's, that's going to bring up just an incredible amount of wanting approval and wanting mm-hmm. relationship and not knowing what to do. Right. Um, we have to recognize that, but also enter into that with confidence and rest mm-hmm. that our Lord is for us. If God is for me, mm-hmm. who can be against yeah. me? Yeah. If he who did not spare his own son gave us up for us yeah. all, how will he not also with us graciously give us all things? Yeah. So like, if that's your position in Christ, you can then enter into that space, reckon with, with that person that you're not what they think the, that you are, mm-hmm. and then show them the true that's Jesus good. over time. Yeah. yeah. And when, uh, so... Any other, uh, any other poor responses? I mean, you mentioned the kind of fear of man and conformity impulse, yeah. anything like that. Any other response, poor responses that you think that we're going to feel pressure yeah. or at least opportunity to, uh, you know, give rise in our hearts and our lives uh, that you, we're going to have to be careful to, to navigate and, and avoid? Yeah, conformity. Okay. What you mentioned, um, but kind of on the other end of conformity is hostility. Okay. Um, where we can then fearfully retreat yep. and then angrily attack yeah. the things that are happening outside of us because it can feel like we had right. in some ways a Christian utopia right, right, right. at some point and now we've lost it and we need to do everything we can to aggressively yeah. earn it back and I just want to love you so much and say that never existed sure, sure. a Christian <laughs> utopia like that never existed sure, sure. it won't exist until the new heaven and the new earth when right. Jesus returns we have to, we don't have to fight for anything what we have to do is rest in Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> humble ourselves yeah. and rather than attack this post-christian age actually enter into it and engage yeah. the gospel into that space. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it's a contradicting contradiction to think that we're going to be able, or anyone's going to be able to establish this kind of Christian utopia using the world's means, yeah. you know? And so if, if we respond with that kind of hostility, um, it, it makes me think of, you know, just Jesus in the garden when, um, the disciples are like, Hey, we, you know, we've got this, you know, the disciple cuts off yeah. the, the, the ear and it's just like, this is just not how the kingdom is going right. to come. Uh, right. this is not using, uh, the means and the tools of the world, uh, and human strength are not going to be the means by which the gospel kind of takes root and the kingdom manifests, uh, and expands. But we do have that impulse. We think, you know, the, especially that fear and that, um, that, that hostility that arises makes us kind of start grasping and saying, whatever I can do to kind of cling to or 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 push forward this thing that I think is important, maybe rightly so, yeah. uh, but doing so in means that contradict the gospel will actually end up undercutting it. Uh, yeah. So we got to be careful of that as well. Yeah. Um, well, I want to I want to go ahead and cut us off there because we're going to keep revisiting this. We're going to talk about the resources and we're going to get more practical about what it looks like to engage a person in a conversation uh, who's coming from kind of this secularistic, pluralistic uh, environment. Uh, and for the IDC Church family, the challenge is going to be uh, and the kind of the invitation is going to be think in your life who is it that the 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 kind of cultural this this archetypal person uh that that we're talking about who is it that you know that kind of fits this mold and think through well, how can i meaningfully engage them with the gospel is it a neighbor a coworker a friend a high school you know old old high school friend a current high school friend just like whatever whatever stage of life you're in who is it that you're interacting with that probably is is either thinking exactly along these lines or to Tyler's point is being influenced even unwittingly by 
these uh, this way of thinking and this way of living and viewing the world, and then think through how do how do I be a follower of Jesus in relation to them? And that's what we're gonna kind of revisit. So, Tyler, thanks for uh, kind of giving us the introduction, and we'll have you back uh, in the coming weeks uh, to walk us through a little bit more practically how we can engage. Sweet, let's do it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, IDC family, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next time.